In the winter of 1981, a yacht named the Splendor bobbed in the choppy waters off of Catalina Island. The entire boat was empty, abandoned after a tragedy. Days before, Hollywood starlet Natalie Wood disappeared from the vessel and drowned. Now it sat, waiting to be recovered by its owners. Natalie's widowed husband, actor Robert Wagner, vowed to never set foot on the Splendor again. It was a painful reminder of the events that had taken place. When investigators searched the boat, the cabin was a mess. Clothes strewn about, a broken wine bottle, a stray earring, a cup of tea now cold. The detectives took photos and notes before packing everything away. They saw no evidence of foul play, And when the officials closed the case, they deemed Natalie's death an accident. Decades later, in 2011, witnesses came forward with new information and authorities reopened the investigation. Perhaps this time around, the evidence in the splendor could lead them to a suspect. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on the mysterious death of Natalie Wood, the world-famous actress who drowned off California's Catalina Island in 1981. At the time, officials declared her death an accident. But 30 years later, they reopened her case, re-examining the possibility of foul play. Last time, we discussed Natalie's marriage, divorce, and remarriage to actor Robert Wagner. We detailed her many arguments with her husband in the days leading up to her death, as well as the initial 1981 investigation. Today, we'll cover the allegations that Robert may have been responsible for Natalie's drowning. We'll examine his testimony and those who've accused him, like Captain Dennis Deverne and Natalie's sister, Lana Wood. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Four decades have passed since Natalie Wood's death, but those closest to her still struggle to explain what happened. 
Her widower, Robert Wagner, originally claimed that she took a dinghy from their boat and drowned while trying to reach the shore. 27 years later, he published a memoir and changed his story. In Robert's revised testimony, he speculated that Natalie never intended to leave the vessel, citing the fact that she was found in her nightgown. He believed that she tried to retie the dinghy to prevent it from noisily bumping against the boat. She then slipped off the dark edge of the splendor and drowned. His children agreed with this explanation. But Natalie's sister, Lana Wood, her mother, Maria Zakarenko, and Captain Dennis DeVerne all believed Robert lied and that he was responsible for Natalie's death. In 2018, the authorities named Robert a person of interest. Since then, the actor has refused multiple requests to talk to the police. His lawyers claimed he'd already provided all the information he had. Additionally, he accused the new investigation of capitalizing on a tragedy. Whether or not that's true, Robert's past behavior suggested his relationship with Natalie wasn't always happy. During their first marriage, he allegedly kept secrets from her. Rumors suggested he was bisexual and hid this part of his identity from his wife. At the time, it was essentially illegal in most states to have same-sex romantic relationships. So if the rumors were true, secrecy may have felt necessary. The gossip began in the 1950s when agent Henry Wilson represented Robert. Wilson was known for working with queer clients and knew how to work within the system to get them roles. Natalie's mother, Maria, was aware of the gossip about Robert and discouraged her 18-year-old daughter from dating the 26-year-old. Early in the couple's courtship, close friends worried that their relationship would end in heartbreak. Natalie, however, dismissed their concerns, saying, quote, all these people are just jealous. But others point to another important relationship in Robert's life. The actor lived in a two-bedroom bungalow with his butler, David Cavendish. They'd been sharing a place since before he met Natalie. Given the prejudice against LGBTQ people in Hollywood, some celebrities may have had their partners pose as live-in staff or roommates. Actor Cary Grant shared a bachelor pad with his friend, Randolph Scott, who some believe was his partner. When a journalist visited while writing a profile on Robert, she found his dynamic with David curious. She wondered why one man would need a live-in butler for such a small place. And when Robert and Natalie moved in together, Robert insisted on bringing David to their new home, against his wife's wishes. At one point, Natalie confided to her friend that she hated the butler. Most, if not all, of her fights with Robert were reportedly about David. In her book, Natasha, The Complete Biography, author Suzanne Finstad alleged that Natalie and Robert divorced in 1962 because she'd caught him cheating on her with a man. That night, Natalie apparently fled to her mother's house crying, devastated by the adultery. This account comes from Natalie's sister, Lana, but Robert has disputed the narrative. For years, he has maintained that he's straight and he's never had a sexual or romantic relationship with a man. It's also worth mentioning that if the affair did happen and Natalie knew about it, she kept Robert's sexuality secret throughout their divorce and after they remarried. 
But maybe she was tired of keeping secrets by the time she and her husband arrived on that boat in 1981. Maybe, during their drunken fight, she threatened to expose him. And, backed into a corner, he possibly decided to silence Natalie forever. Of course, there's no hard evidence to support this narrative. Robert has always denied the rumors about his alleged affairs and same-sex relationships. Plus, even if he was in the closet, there's no clear indication that Natalie intended to out him. Furthermore, this narrative fits into a harmful stereotype about bisexual people who are frequently depicted in film and television as manipulative, violent, and dangerous. Movies like Basic Instinct and TV shows like House of Cards and Killing Eve depict bisexual people as ruthless killers. In a recent report on LGBTQ representation in television, GLAAD called for an improvement in bisexual representation in the media. In other words, even if Robert was closeted, we should be careful about drawing assumptions about his possible guilt or innocence based on his sexuality. That said, Robert's alleged bisexuality and infidelities wouldn't have been his only motives to potentially hurt his wife. He envied Natalie's acting career and her relationships with other men. In his 2008 memoir, Pieces of My Heart, Robert explained how he was violently jealous of his wife's friendship with Warren Beatty. He reported that on one occasion, quote, I was hanging around outside his house with a gun, hoping he would walk out. I not only wanted to kill him, I was prepared to kill him. Robert didn't elaborate on how the incident played out. It's likely that while he waited for Warren to show up, his anger dissipated and he thought better of his plan. But even if he never followed through, it was clear that his temper had the potential to erupt into violence. In fact, if Robert did murder his wife, the crime could have been premeditated and inspired by one of his previous roles. In the 1956 film, A Kiss Before Dying, he played a character named Bud who murders his pregnant fiancée and frames her death as suicide. During a 2011 interview, Robert described Bud saying, quote, I never thought of him as a villain, really. It was just too much pressure for him. I mean, he only had one way to get out. If Robert was sympathetic to a fictional husband who murdered his wife, it's possible he applied this same rationale to his relationship with Natalie. Especially given the allegations from the only other eyewitness to Natalie's disappearance. According to Captain Dennis Deverne, after potentially murdering his wife, Robert then bribed and imprisoned his accomplices to prevent them from talking. Coming up, Dennis's nightmarish weeks trapped in Robert's home. Hello, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we're the hosts of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. You may know us from the very creepy and excellent podcast Red Handed, but now we've teamed up with Parcast for an unprecedented look at history's most nefarious groups. Some preach extreme religious practices. Others warn of impending doom. And then there are those whose endgame is far more diabolical. Every Tuesday on Sinister Societies, we take a peek behind the curtain and discover the most ominous organisations the world may 
or may not have known. Learn how entrepreneurial sects made fortunes off their brand, how charismatic cult leaders caught the eye of celebrities, and why strange orders of the extraterrestrial or collegiate kind attract the most unlikely of followers. Some groups convene in the shadows, others operate in plain sight. All are absolutely sinister. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Natalie Wood drowned in an apparent accident on November 29, 1981. But several people have disputed the official story, hinting that her husband, Robert Wagner, actually killed her. One of the most outspoken skeptics was the Splendor's captain, Dennis DeVerne. Dennis was 27 years old when Robert and Natalie hired him to work on their new boat. Their relationship quickly blossomed from professional to personal. The couple treated him like family and included him in their parties at sea. They were so close that on November 29, 1981, Robert actually sent Dennis to identify Natalie's body in the morgue. What Dennis saw haunted him for the rest of his life. Because of the gruesome bruises dotting her body, he wondered if maybe Robert had been violent with her. He kept his suspicions to himself, though. In the weeks following Natalie's death, Dennis corroborated Robert and Christopher Walken's testimony. All three agreed that Robert and Natalie argued. Then she went to bed. An hour later, Robert went to check on her, only to discover her missing. After the case was closed, however, Dennis hinted that something more sinister took place that night. In 2009, he published a memoir co-written with his longtime friend, Marty Rooley. In the book, titled Goodbye, Natalie, Goodbye, Splendor, Dennis claimed that Natalie's final argument with Robert was a lot more heated than anyone originally let on. Even after they all went to bed, he could hear them arguing in the stateroom. As the night wore on, the yelling gave way to thrashing and thumping. Dennis worried that the dispute had turned physical, so he mustered his courage and knocked on the door. Robert answered with disheveled hair, out of breath. He told Dennis to leave. Dennis followed orders. He left and went to the bridge. But he heard Robert and Natalie resume their argument, even as they moved to the back outer deck. From his vantage point, Dennis could see the couple. But he didn't want them to think he was spying on them, so he played loud music to drown out their fight. But their argument was so loud, he could hear them for another 10 to 15 minutes. Then, everything went quiet. Dennis rushed back to the deck to see if the couple had calmed down. But he found Robert alone. Flustered, Robert told Dennis that he couldn't find Natalie. A strange statement, since they'd been shouting at one another just a few minutes before. Robert ordered Dennis to go down in the cabin to search for her. With a pit in his stomach, the captain complied. He searched every room, but saw no sign of the missing actress. When Dennis got back to the deck, Robert showed him a loose rope. It had been tied around the boat's dinghy, which was now gone. Robert wondered aloud if Natalie had taken the small boat to shore. But Dennis knew she was afraid of sailing on her own. He suspected that Robert had released the dinghy while he was searching the cabins to cover his tracks. 
To be clear, the captain said he never saw Natalie go overboard. He also didn't hear her hit the water, but it's possible his music drowned out the sound. In his memoir, he suggested that Natalie either fell accidentally or Robert pushed her during their fight. Even if the fall was an accident, Robert may have been culpable. As we discussed last time, he waited more than an hour and a half before requesting a search party. When Dennis asked if they should turn on the boat's searchlight, Robert refused. He apparently didn't want to draw unwanted attention. Even though Natalie could be desperately seeking help, Robert appeared content to wait. Perhaps he needed the time to come up with a cover story. Or he just had to gather his thoughts after a night of heavy drinking. At one point after Natalie's disappearance, before they called the authorities, Robert opened a bottle of scotch and told Dennis to sit and drink with him. He insisted that Natalie would come back soon with the dinghy. Dennis didn't know what made him so confident. Later, Dennis alleged that Robert tried to get him drunk to undermine his credibility, or so he'd ask fewer questions. Dennis and Robert debated about whether to clean the glass from a wine bottle they'd broken earlier that night. But it was Dennis, not Robert, who wanted to tidy up. Robert said he didn't want to look like he was getting rid of any evidence. This could mean he wanted to preserve the scene and had nothing to hide. Or he may have known how suspicious it would look if he disposed of the glass. Robert knew that his guest, Christopher Walken, was still on board the ship. If his statement to police mentioned the broken bottle, and if it became clear that Robert had thrown it away, he'd look guilty. So they kept the glass in place and finally contacted Harbor Patrol. But by the time they did, it was too late. After hours of searching, Natalie was found dead at 7.45 a.m. Her body was nowhere near the dinghy Robert claimed she'd taken. When investigators took Dennis's statement, he lied to protect Robert. He failed to mention the fight on the back deck. Instead, he pretended that he didn't learn of Natalie's disappearance until after Robert went to check on her in their room. Dennis's biographer, Marty Rooley, asked him why he kept the secret. Dennis said that he was scared and in shock. He felt loyal to Robert and didn't want to betray his friend. But Dennis's problems weren't over yet. Right after Natalie's death, Robert invited him to stay over at his house. Dennis accepted, presuming that Robert wanted company during his time of grief. During his stay, they drank together, reminisced, and cried on each other's shoulders. The grieving widower said he never wanted to set foot on the splendor again. This meant he didn't need Dennis's services as a captain, but he could use Dennis's help to sell the boat. Dennis didn't mind the extra task. It gave him an excuse to remain at Robert's place. He'd been close to Natalie, too, and appreciated the companionship while mourning. Days passed, and Robert hired bodyguards to keep fans and the paparazzi at bay. But at a certain point, it seemed to Dennis that they were also there to discourage him from leaving. He had to ask permission to leave or talk to anyone outside the household, and Robert imposed a 10 p.m. curfew. Dennis had a fiancé at home. To protect her privacy, we used the pseudonym Betty. Robert's restrictions prevented Dennis from spending the night with Betty. 
At one point, he tried to sneak out, but one of Robert's drivers chased him down and brought him back to the estate. Allegedly, the lockdown was all part of Robert's attempt to control the media after Natalie's death. He and Dennis were so afraid that Betty would talk to a reporter, Dennis eventually broke up with her. When Dennis told Robert he was ready to move out, Robert didn't take it well. He said he didn't want Dennis to leave until the press coverage died down. Once that happened, Dennis escaped. Afterward, Robert periodically wrote him checks, reportedly in exchange for his silence. He also landed the captain background acting roles on his show Heart to Heart. Their quasi-friendship ended when Dennis's ex-fiancée sold her side of the story to Star Magazine. The article never was published, but Betty gave a few other interviews afterward. In them, she hinted that Robert and Natalie fought viciously before her mysterious disappearance, and Betty alleged that Dennis knew more than he was letting on. She states, quote, Dennis just said, don't believe anything you see in print. What you're going to be seeing about this, you know, it's all a lie. Even though Dennis insisted he had nothing to do with the piece, Robert blamed him. He no longer trusted him. Robert issued Dennis one final check for $2,000, then cut him off. A short while later, Dennis and Marty began working on their memoir, Goodbye Natalie, Goodbye Splendor. At first, the authorities didn't seem to take the allegations in Dennis's book seriously. Maybe they wrote the publication off as a cash grab. But they responded differently when he appeared on NBC News in 2011. In that interview, the captain claimed that Robert's fight with Natalie led to her death. Hours later, officials announced they would be reopening the case because several people had come forward with information about a possible homicide. In a 2018 episode of 48 Hours, Investigators said that two unidentified observers were in a neighboring boat. They claimed to have seen two figures having a loud argument on the back deck of the Splendor, presumably Robert and Natalie. In addition, the police gave an update on two other witnesses, Marilyn Wayne and her fiancé, John Payne, the couple that had originally shared their account with the coroner, Thomas Noguchi, in 1981. As we discussed last time, the Waynes reportedly heard a woman crying for help around the time Natalie disappeared. Apparently, when investigators re-interviewed Marilyn in 2011, they determined that her account wasn't reliable. They've never publicly disclosed why. And they're not the only witnesses whose credibility has been called into question. Some people have serious doubts about Dennis Deverne's account, accusing him of inventing details for notoriety. After all, Robert cut him off three years after Natalie's death. Dennis may have felt motivated to profit off the tragedy once he lost the stream of income. Gossip magazines like the National Enquirer and Star offered big payouts, but Dennis may have thought that a tell-all book would bring an even bigger payday. The memoir also gave him opportunities to be on television. In 1992, Dennis and Marty appeared on Geraldo Rivera's show, Now It Can Be Told. Unfortunately for the authors, a hot mic caught Marty demanding that Dennis keep the juiciest details to himself. 
She said, quote, Don't you tell them how she got into the water. We put that in the book and we'll make billions from it. This candid moment made the two look sleazy. After the debacle, they held off on promoting the autobiography. But later that year, Dennis allegedly ignored Marty's advice and spilled his guts in a private conversation. One day, he reportedly called Natalie's sister Lana. Drunk and emotional, he made a startling confession. According to Lana, he claimed he saw Robert push Natalie overboard. Coming up, Lana responds to Robert's revelation. Now back to the story. Only two eyewitnesses were awake on board the Splendor at the time of Natalie Wood's disappearance, Robert Wagner and Dennis DeVerne. Dennis shared his impressions of that evening in his book, Goodbye Natalie, Goodbye Splendor. According to his memoir, Dennis didn't know how Natalie ended up in the water. But in a private drunken phone call, Dennis reportedly told Natalie's sister Lana that he knew exactly how Natalie died. Overcome with guilt after years of keeping the secret, he wanted to get it off his chest. Dennis's phone call confession began similarly to the story in his book. He was playing music on the bridge while he watched Robert and Natalie argue on the back outer deck. But now he added that at the height of the confrontation, he watched Robert shove Natalie into the water. Dennis said he ran over to help, but Robert told him, quote, leave her there, teach her a lesson. Lana was horrified by this news. She shared the revelation with Natalie's biographer, Suzanne Finstad. The two implored Dennis to tell the police what he'd seen, but he refused. According to Lana, Dennis was afraid that he'd be considered an accomplice. He'd stood by while Natalie was helpless in the water. He'd kept Robert's secret all these years. Maybe that's why Dennis and Marty didn't include the bombshell in their book. But Dennis and Marty publicly denied that Dennis was ever a bystander. To make matters even more convoluted, the captain said that Finstad invented the drunken confession to sell more copies of her book. But Lana had other reasons to believe that Robert was responsible for her sister's death. She distrusted him ever since his first turbulent marriage to Natalie. And her opinion didn't improve after their divorce and remarriage. A few years after Natalie passed, Lana published a memoir about her sister. In part due to the book painting him in a negative light, Robert cut ties with Lana and her mother, Maria. This meant that Natalie's daughters weren't allowed to spend time with that side of the family. As their relationship soured, Lana became more publicly critical of Robert. She complained that he'd moved on too quickly. Just months after Natalie died, he started dating actress Jill St. John. But everyone processes loss differently. Lana may still have been in mourning, while Robert grieved at a different pace. True, the timing was less than ideal, but it doesn't prove he had anything to do with Natalie's death. Given all the conflicting accounts, it's hard to say where the truth lies. Dennis DeVerne's memoir painted Robert as a likely murderer, but Robert's family insisted on his innocence. His daughters have publicly voiced their support, as has his stepdaughter, Natasha. 
In 2020, Natasha produced a documentary about her mother for HBO Max called What Remains Behind. The film didn't focus on Natalie's tragic demise. Instead, it highlighted her life and accomplishments. Natasha interviewed her mother's friends and family, including Robert. It's one of the few times he's ever spoken publicly about that fateful trip on the Splendor. Ultimately, Robert and Natasha both affirmed that the death was a tragic accident. In an on-screen interview, Robert's daughter Courtney added, quote, I was furious at the accusations being said about him. I love him so deeply, and it has gone on for so long that I still can't believe they actually write such untrue things. But this doesn't explain the allegations suggesting Robert tried to buy Dennis's silence after the incident. As we discussed earlier, Robert wrote regular checks to the captain and helped him land small acting roles for years after Natalie's death. Robert also insisted Dennis go to therapy, and he paid for that too. If he really wanted Dennis to stay quiet, he wouldn't put the captain in a position where he'd be tempted to speak honestly about that night. Instead, it's possible that the payments and the jobs were Robert's way of trying to support a longtime friend. His relationship with Dennis certainly wasn't perfect. The lockdown at his home is evidence of that. But this doesn't mean Robert committed murder. And we should note, the police have never charged him with any crime. The investigation is ongoing, and it's safe to assume there are details that they haven't released publicly. Maybe authorities have evidence that definitively exonerates Robert. Fatal drownings are sadly common. The CDC says an average of 11 people drown every day in the United States. It's hard to believe that a Hollywood star could die in such an unremarkable way. She spent years in the spotlight. Her tumultuous private life filled countless tabloids while she lit up the silver screen. It's unsurprising so many fans believed her death had to be as scandalous and dramatic as her life. But reality is not a movie. And our heroes don't always have dramatic climaxes followed by uplifting resolutions. It's tempting to make Natalie's final days fit a Hollywood-style narrative. But that doesn't mean it's accurate. Natalie's career was worthy of celebration. To honor her, perhaps we should focus less on the way she died and more on what she accomplished while she lived. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. For more information on Natalie Wood, amongst the many sources we used, we found Marty Rooley and Dennis Deverne's book, Goodbye Natalie, Goodbye Splendor, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Lena Olson, with writing assistance by Ben Hanani and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Cara Makerlein, and research by Chelsea Wood. 
Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. You aren't supposed to know about them, unless they want you to. Powerful groups with their own very specific agendas. And if you find yourself on the inside, good luck getting out. Hi, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Join us every Tuesday for our new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. Whether it's doomsday predictions, deadly greed or world domination, each week we're exposing the beliefs and actions of the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify. Spotify.